Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning. Good to see you all again. Hasn't been too long since uh, the last time. Um, Did everybody have trail notes? I did bring some trail notes with me. If you need a, everybody got some that wants some? Okay. All right. Can you help me with that, brother? (laughs) Yep, I think there are four or five left there. And um, there's a couple of new faces here this morning. Um, I am... Uh, my name's Timothy Moore, and, and I get to lead cross-country ministries, and part of that's the Cross-Country Cowboy Church Network, and James Mays is one of our cowboy preachers, and I think you know him, and so uh, uh, James had to be in Atlanta at our mission headquarters, and um, uh, all, all NAM missionaries have to go through that, and, and no, it's a good time of support and encouragement. They do about 100 missionaries at a time. We have close to 4,000 missionaries, I believe, right now with NAM, And and so 100 at a time gather, and they they get encouraged. And and it's just a a really, it's a neat thing to be a part of. uh, You know, you go there and you realize that this is a big force that God has raised up to advance the gospel. And and so uh, we're we're grateful to be working together. So if you don't uh, know this, in Cross Country Cowboy Church, we teach through the New Testament every year in our outposts. We do outpost outreach and groundwork. That's the only three things we do. Our outposts are our weekly worship gatherings. We have several of those. Uh, we do them on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Our outreach is through horsemanship and outdoorsmanship. And groundwork is our discipleship ministry that we do in our smaller groups our Bible studies, and, uh, and through that in the past three years, north of here, over a thousand people have prayed to receive Christ as their Savior, and uh, it's amazing in three years' time to see, uh, see that happen during the week, and, um, and we're grateful to be a part of what God's doing there. But we are in the book of Revelation right now, and so I've taught a couple of times on the first uh, few chapters of Revelation, and I'm going to share that with you if you guys are, are up for that. Revelation can be a little bit daunting. It can be a little bit mysterious and uh, sometimes scary for people. I've even talked to people who have been believers for years and are like, I don't even go there. Like, I just, <laughs> I stay out of that book. It scares me. There's, there's dragons and multi-headed things and things with people with swords coming out of their mouths, and it's just crazy, and I'm staying... <laughs> I'm staying away from that thing, but we teach right through. So there are, there are 260 chap- chapters in the New Testament, 52 weeks in the year, 5 times 52 is 260. So we focus on five chapters a week in terms of folks having a time with God. We call that process our 345 process. And then all of our cowboy preachers can just bring their message from anywhere. You can't cover five chapters in a sermon, but... Uh, Really what we're trying to emphasize is what changes people's lives is having a personal time with God in His Word. And we're careful to emphasize that it's not reading the Bible that changes your life. It's spending time with God in His Word. 
if we don't have a relationship with God, uh, then reading the Bible is like reading a history book. But when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and, uh, and He becomes the Lord of your life, and the Holy Spirit is in you as your counselor, your comforter, your guide, your teacher. He starts opening your eyes to things, and you start having time with God and His Word, and it becomes something that you just... You can't live without, or at least you can't live right without. You know, I mean, I need, I need time with God, personally. And if you're not in that habit, then uh, 345 is a really good process. My wife and I have used it for years and years. And uh, 345 stands for 3 hours and 45 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. You don't spend 3 hours. It stands for 3 minutes and 45 seconds. That's how long it takes to listen to the average chapter of the Bible. And so we have all five of those uh, chapters that we use on our website each week, c4cowboychurch.com, and you can listen to them there or read them there. And we're in the book of Revelation right now. Before I die, in Revelation 2 through 6, we do five chapters a week. So um, before I jump into these couple of verses here, uh, let me tell you about a preacher I heard about one time, and we'll call it country community church all right he went to he went to this church and he'd been there for just a couple of weeks and he wanted to get to know his attenders and church members so he went out in the community knocking on doors and and uh, getting to know folks and he went up to this one house and the family dog greeted him lights were on in the house he heard some music playing thought he heard somebody on the phone but he never could get anybody to come to the door he just knocking and knocking nobody come to the door so he took out a card, and on the card he wrote Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. So he put Revelation 3.20 on there and left it on the door. Well, that following Sunday, an offering plate, the card comes back, and uh, one of the deacons brought it to him. And on, on the other side, it had Genesis 3.10, and he couldn't remember what that said. So he, he looked it up and then busted out laughing because it says, I was ashamed because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> that was funny, wasn't it, Nate? I see you back there. You're trying not to laugh. That was funny right there. I don't care who you are. That was funny. <laughs> now, there's a, there's a beautiful promise in the book of Revelation and... Uh, let me borrow your trail notes here for a second, because I put it on your trail notes and I didn't put it on mine. Um, actually, I didn't put it on your trail notes, never mind. I put 217 on there. The beautiful promise that I want to point out to you is, is Revelation 2:11, and it says, "Anyone with ears to hear must understand what the spirit." is saying to the churches. That's a phrase that occurs over and over in the book of Revelation. Anyone with ears, touch your ears or, a, or an ear. So he's talking about you. <laughs> he's talking about you. I had a, I had a friend in, uh, down south. He, he called everybody cotton. He's talking about you, cotton. So he's talking about you. You are the ones with the ears to hear. Okay? You must hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And it says, whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Everybody say second death. Second death. 
See, that's part of the mysterious stuff of Revelation. There are phrases that are only used in Revelation, but the rest of the Bible is the key to interpreting those phrases. Okay? Blessed are those who are not touched by the second death. Wow, some people go, I thought... Just one death is enough, you know. I mean, we spend our lives trying not to think about that and maybe to outrun it and outlast it, but none of us outrun or outlast death. And I have funerals to do. I had I did a funeral yesterday. I have one to do next Saturday. It's just they, the funerals come. And death is a reality. For all of us, we can't, un, we can't outrun it, we can't outlast it. It is a reality. And we don't want anyone, including a preacher, to talk about it. We want to put it in the back of our minds, we want to live our lives, we do not want to think about it. But it's really, in order to understand the book of Revelation, there has to be, this may seem weird, but there has to be a death focus. Here's why. Believers were being heavily persecuted and put to death for their faith. Prior to this time, the Neronian persecution had happened, the Domitian persecution had happened, and people who claimed to follow Jesus Christ were being tortured and killed. Nero dipped them in tar, put them up on posts, lit them on fire to light the streets. They were fed to the animals in the Colosseums. People were losing, losing, losing because of the decision to follow Jesus. So on the surface, it looks like you're losing everything, including your life. Why would anybody follow Jesus? And John, the last living apostle, is an old man. The rest of the apostles didn't live to be old men, but John lives to be an old man, possibly around 90 years old when he wrote the Revelation and he had been boiled alive in hot oil and somehow survived. And after he survived, they sent him to the island called Patmos. Patmos was an island that didn't have resources. You were sent there to die. It was a penal colony without resources. And so they just sent people there to die of exposure. And it was on the Isle of Patmos that the Lord Jesus appeared to John and gave him the book of Revelation. That's the context of this book. It's not somebody sitting somewhere in a comfortable recliner or just attending church like we do in America without fear of machine guns and people coming in and taking it. You know, I have a cousin who's a missionary, and he was a missionary in Angolia, and they came in with, with machine guns a month ago into his church, shut it down. We don't have, we don't have that fear here. In America, but it's happening around the world. It does happen in other countries. I mean, it happened a month ago in the church that my cousin worships in. And so that's what was happening here when the book of Revelation was written severe persecution. And here is the promise those who are victorious, and so it's important for us to understand what he means by victorious. Okay, because a lot of people have a lot of different definitions for being victorious or being an overcomer, but the Bible is very specific about what it means. In fact, somebody be looking up 
1 John 5, 4 and 5. I want someone to read that to us. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. But it says, he who is victorious, and the same word for being victorious is the word for being an overcomer in the, in the New Testament. And so some translations translate it being victorious. Some translation, translations say be an overcomer. But 1 John 5, 4 and 5 defines that for us biblically, what that means. Because it says, if you are an overcomer, you will not be touched by the second death. And so let's talk about death for just a second. The word death is the Greek word thanatos. It means a separation. In these funerals that I do, something is gone that used to be there. There's a body there. It's inanimate. It cannot move. Something's gone. And what is gone is the immaterial and eternal immortal soul of that person. The soul separates from the body in the first thanatos, the first separation. Okay? So all of us are going to experience first thanatos, where our soul separates from our body. If Jesus doesn't come back, you know, there is a passage that says, we who are alive and remain when he comes will be caught up to meet them in the clouds. So If Jesus tarries his coming, then we'll all experience thanatos number one, separation number one. The the thing that should give us um, a healthy sense of fear is the second thanatos. The The first thanatos is separation of the soul from the body. The second thanatos is the separation of the soul from God forever. And he says, he who is victorious will never be touched by second thanatos, by the second death. Who's got 1 John 5, 4 and 5 for us? Who can read that for us? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Everybody say faith. Did you hear that? It says, this is the victory that, over, that has overcome the world, our faith. Keep reading, brother. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay. The world might define victory in a thousand different ways. The Bible defines it as the one who has faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That one is victorious. And Revelation 2.11 is that the one who is victorious will never be touched by the second death. Now somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. So does it make sense now? So the purpose of the book of Revelation is hope. And hope, biblical hope, is not I hope something will happen. Biblical hope means confidence. Everybody say confidence. Confidence, confidence in a better future because of Jesus. That is the definition, biblical definition of hope. Confidence in a better future because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Because he lives. He said, because I live, you will live also. Amen? Amen. So, how do you become a victorious one or an overcomer in terms of what the Bible calls an overcomer? You take your faith 
and you put it in Jesus Christ as the Son of the Most High God, who lived as your example, who died in your place for all of your sin and shame, and he conquered death to prove that he is the source of our forgiveness. He's the one who casts our sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. Are there any other sinners in here that would say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Listen, it's because of Jesus that we overcome. It's because of the work of Jesus. It's not because I'm any more righteous than anybody else. It's because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became my sin. That I might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what it says. So... The purpose, the beautiful promise of Revelation 2.11, that's your blank promise, is that we won't be touched by the second death if we put our faith and our trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The purpose of the book of Revelation is to instill hope, that's your next blank, in every believer. And biblically, hope equals confidence in a better future. And I would add to the end of that, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus. We can have confidence in a better future because of Jesus. Revelation 21, 3 through 5, I think I put that there as a reference. It, uh, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne. This is, this is, in the, the, this is after the, the judgments. This is, I heard a shout from the throne saying, Behold, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, there shall be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Think about these people that all they have known, some of them, these children that have lived in terrible persecution and sorrow and crying and pain. This has been their lives. And he's saying there shall be no more. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because all these things are gone forever and the one who is sitting on the throne says, I make everything new. Behold, I make all things new. So hope, do you see that hope is the theme of Revelation? And in order to feel it, you've got to put yourself in the shoes of these folks who all they have known is, is persecution, sorrow, martyrdom, death, and loss in this life following Jesus. It doesn't fit what we see on TV. You know, if you just follow Jesus, everything's just, you know, you're going to have everything you want. Your hair's never going to fall out. You're never going to get a cavity, you know. (laughs) My goodness. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're in a fallen world, that our souls are saved, our bodies are not. I was talking to our boy Nate about abs I used to have when I was younger. He's looking at his abs in the mirror. He's like, yeah, I remember having abs, you know. I really do. And after my first kid was born, no more abs for the rest of my life, you know. I don't. I gained pound for pound, no more abs. Now I got a belly. Things change, our our bodies are not redeemed. Our souls are redeemed. And we're going to be given a glorified body someday. 
And you have to work harder and harder and harder in life just to get your body to function, right? Just to go from here to there. Like, we have horses and a ranch, and a lot of my life is just waiting for the caffeine and ibuprofen to kick in, you know, <laughs> so that maybe I can climb up on Fred, because I got a Belgian, he's about that tall, so I got to have steps to get up on him. <laughs> Revelation 2.17, really, really quickly, you have it there on your trail notes. Can somebody read that for us, just that one verse? Um, very quickly, he said, I'll give to those who overcome. So there's that word again, overcomer. We've already talked about that. We defined it. First John five, four and five. Who, who is an overcomer? The person who has what? In faith in Jesus. That's an overcomer. He says, I'll give some hidden manna. You ever heard of manna before? Exodus chapter 16, God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt. Into the, they come into the desert and he feeds them with what? Manna for 40 years. Manna is called the bread from heaven. And so God supernaturally feeds his people and takes care of them in the desert with manna. You know what the manna? And, and then later on in the Old Testament, manna, manna always represents the provision of God, God's providing. It's also connected to the mercies of God. You remember that, that uh, uh, man, how long did manna last? 24 hours. It, if you, you can't go 24 hours in a minute or it's rotten. It only lasted 24 hours. And, and in Lamentations 3, it says God's mercies are new every day, every single day. And so it's God's provision and it's God's mercy. It's what God gives us to get through the desert experiences of life. That's the hidden manna. And then in John chapter 6, after Jesus has fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish, he says, I am the manna from heaven. They're saying, feed us again. He said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they go, and take off because but he's Jesus is using it as a metaphor he's saying these things were done to teach the world about me you're living in a fallen world that's the desert you're enslaved to your your sin all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God sin is our Egypt and he's calling us out of Egypt and we're coming into a redeemed relationship with God in the world which is under a curse, which is the desert. But he's given us his son, Jesus Christ, and he is our manna from heaven. And in that relationship, we get nourished. And when he says, I've given you the hidden manna. Where's Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's hidden in the sense that we don't see him, but he's in us by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And so we have, we're overcomers through faith, and we have the hidden manna, which is Jesus through the Spirit of God, who is called the Spirit of Christ in the book of Acts. He's in our hearts, 
He's in our lives, and we can, can, can. I told somebody the other day their success would come in a can. Just set out a soup can right there. I can't, because the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is our manna to make it through the day. And we need to have time with him every day. We need to collect the manna every day. That's why we give people a process like 345. It does not happen just, if you, if you spent time with Jesus yesterday, it's not going to carry you today or tomorrow. He wants you to spend time with him every day. All right, hear me. A lot of people pray to receive Christ as their Savior, and they never get in a habit of receiving the manna. They never get in a habit of having some time with God in his word saying, Lord, I need your strength this day. Show me your promises. There's 7,487 promises from God to people in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says they're all yes and amen to those who believe. You better get the promises and have an encounter with Jesus who is your hidden manna because you will have an encounter with the devil. 1 Peter 5 promises that. He says, your adversary the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You have an encounter with Jesus. You get the manna and you're strengthened for that day. Y'all with me? Okay, so he talks about overcoming, he talks about the hidden manna, and he talks about the white stone, and that's the last thing I want to talk about, the white stone. There's a heaven focus in the book of Revelation, and he says, and when you get to heaven, if you're, a, and, and so the prerequisites, you're an overcomer, you have the hidden manna, and therefore when your life ends, you're going to see Jesus. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And so you're right there in front of Jesus and Revelation 2.17 tells you something that's going to happen right after you die and see Jesus. He gives you a white pebble. The The word is the word for small stone. He gives you a small white stone. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus is going to embrace you and give you a small white stone. Why would he do that? In Bible times, there were two uses for a white stone. The first was in court. Jurors were given a white pebble, same word in the Greek, a white stone and a black stone. And that's how they cast their vote, for guilty or innocent. The black stone dropped in, guilty. White stone dropped in, innocent. That's just a fact. And so the white white stone... In that culture, represented forgiven or innocent. So when Jesus gives you the white stone, he's saying, you're forgiven. You're innocent of the charges that have been brought against you. Colossians chapter 3 says, he has taken away all of the charges that were against us, having nailed them to the cross. Isn't that something? And so the white stone represents innocence. There's only one other use of the white stone in the ancient Near Eastern culture. And that was in the Olympic Games or in some time. The Olympics started in biblical times. And they had all, and sports. They had all of these coliseums where they had sports. 
And by the way, that's where many of the Christians were being martyred and killed or in these sports coliseums. The winner, the one who is victorious in each sport gets a wreath and a small white stone. And the small white stone was the invitation. It was like a ticket. They couldn't print off tickets back then. The white stone was a ticket to the victor's banquet. And so it would have their, their name on the stone. They gave them the stone so it couldn't be given to somebody else. Then they put their name, inscribed their name on the stone. As soon as they, they won their marathon, they inscribe the name on the white stone and they give it to that person. And a wealthy merchant or a, a magistrate or somebody that was in government would, would host the banquet at their home for that event and you had to have the white stone to get in the banquet. And there's a theme in the book of Revelation that there's going to be a banquet. The cool thing about the name on the rock is it's a new name. Everybody say new name. New name. All the people in olden times that really studied their Bibles, they knew about it. And that, that was important to them. And there's songs written about it. There's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. There's songs about this new name. And what's so precious about the new name is that only Jesus and you know your new name. And he will spend time with you and he will call you by your new name. Why? Because what, what is most important to Jesus Christ is a personal relationship with you. And so I'll know you by your name, but he's got a special name for you. And when you and he talk in heaven, it's going to be like this right here. And he's going to call you by the name that only you know, only he knows. That's your new name. And it's also the invitation to the banquet. There's going to be a banquet in heaven like you never, you cannot possibly imagine. And you know, you know, when we have banquets, we have guests of honor, right? Who do you think is going to be the guest of honor at that banquet? We think, naturally, the King of kings and Lord of lords is going to be the guest, right? I mean, this banquet's going to be all about him, right? Luke chapter 12, verse 37 It says, the servants who are ready and waiting for his return shall be rewarded at the banquet. I tell you the truth, he himself shall seat them and he shall put on an apron and he shall serve them. And it's talking about Jesus. Jesus seats you. He puts on an apron. He says, what would you like? He takes your order. He gets your food. And he serves you. That's our God. We ought to be just falling down on our face worshiping him. But Jesus says the son of man has not come to be served. But to serve. And give his life a ransom for many. And we think it ended at the cross. Where he gave his life for us. It is who he is. God is love. Our savior is love. And love always serves and sacrifices. Love always serves and sacrifices. If you want to know if somebody loves you. Are they serving you and sacrificing for you? Does my wife want to know I love her? Am I serving and sacrificing for her? 
is she serving and sacrificing for me? The answer is yes. So I don't have to doubt her love. She doesn't have to doubt my love. The world makes it something else. If you find somebody who serves and sacrifices, that person's heart's full of love. My, my grown son, who's really smart, would say, it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> it's not. Jesus still serves. King of kings, Lord of lords, he's got an apron, and he serves us at the banquet. And he honors those who eagerly were looking for his return. Isn't that something? That's all I got to say about that. I think we filled in all the blanks. If not, I got a cheat sheet up here. You get No, we didn't either. Jesus has declared believers innocent. So everybody say, I'm forgiven. Amen. Believers are innocent. You can say, I'm forgiven. Jesus has invited you to heaven's banquet. Say, I'm a citizen of heaven. Amen. Convince me that you know that you're a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. <laughs> That's a little better. And Jesus gives you a new name known only to him and to you. Christ gave his life for me. I give my life to him. Give my life to him. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ suffered once for sins. The one who never sinned for us sinners. In order to bring us safely home to God, he was put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. That's a beautiful gospel. It's a good and beautiful Savior that we have that died for our sins in our place. And the Bible says we respond by receiving it by faith or rejecting it. Let's pray together. Will you receive what Jesus has done for you and will you be victorious? Will you be an overcomer? If you don't know of a time that you've opened your heart to Christ and received Him into your life, you can do that right now. It's for everyone, and therefore it's not complicated. It's just a matter of putting your trust in Him and asking Him to come into your life. And you can do that right now. You can say something like this in your heart. He hears the prayer of your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of the Most High God. I believe that you lived a perfect life as my example, and you died in my place on the cross for all of my sin and all of my shame. I believe you conquered death by your resurrection, and you proved that you're my source of forgiveness and so, Jesus, because you gave your perfect life for me, right now I receive you into my life and I give my life to you. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you, if you prayed that prayer and you want to make it known, Jesus said, make it known. Matthew 10, 32, he who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So, I'm not going to embarrass anybody this morning, but I want you to begin to be able to say, I gave my life to Christ. And the easy way to start that is just by looking at me. You can look at me right now, and I won't embarrass you in any way. Amen. Amen. I see you. Anybody else? Just so our eyes meet. You can put your heads back down. 
Father God, thank you for these who've acknowledged opening their hearts to Christ. I pray that you would help them to walk forward in their faith, embracing more and more of the promises of God, strengthened, Lord, daily by a time with you where they get that manna to carry them through uh, everything that we have to go through. Lord, this life that you've given us in this fallen world is a mixture of tragedy and beauty, and we need manna. We need your strength and provision and mercy to help us through. And I, I pray for all of us that we would have that in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.